Amen. As you find a seat, I invite you to open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Uh, If you are a guest or not and you need a copy of the Bible, uh, we'd love to give you a copy. We believe the greatest investment we can make into your life is the investment of Scripture. So if you're here and you don't have a copy, a printed copy, and you want one, we'd love to provide that for you. See me after church And I will get that copy of Scripture to you. Uh, Two weeks ago, we asked the question, who needs to have spiritual freedom in their life? And we, we answered predictably, all of us. And one of the things that we discussed two weeks ago was the reality that uh, just because we have uh, some kind of religion doesn't mean that we have freedom in Christ. And just because we believe in the existence of God doesn't mean that we have freedom in Christ. And just because we have some specific doctrinal positions doesn't mean that we have freedom in Christ. And we discovered that religion doesn't necessarily equal freedom in Christ. And so even those of us, and maybe you're here today, and and you've never had that thought before. You think, well, I grew up believing in God, and I went to church sometimes, some years better than others, and I read my Bible from time to time, and sometimes I pray, and I'm kind of a religious person. Uh, You need to understand that it is when you have a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, that's where the freedom is. Uh, And so that was two weeks ago. Last week, we asked the question, how do we find freedom? And of course, the, the, the simple answer is Jesus. And then we said, okay, but how does the cross work? If it's the cross that brings us freedom, how does that work? How does Jesus dying 2,000 years ago being our sacrifice for our sin, how does that translate? How does that connect? Like, what's the secret sauce that causes his death to bring freedom to us? And just very quickly, we talked about four ways. The, the cross of Jesus satisfies the wrath of God pointed towards sinners. And we talked about that. We talked about the fact that the cross covers and removes the sin of people. We talked about the fact that the cross takes two warring people, right? Like God and ourselves and reconciles us, creates peace and rest. Those are beautiful words to describe our relationship with God. We talked about the word liberation and redemption and the fact that the cross not only connects us peacefully with God, but releases us from the slavery of sin and death. And and this week, we're saying, okay, we know everybody needs to experience freedom. Got that. We know that it is the cross of Jesus that buys our freedom. Got that. But now that we have freedom, how do we live? And I think that's a really important question to ask and answer, and here's why. Because I'm not so sure that we are very good at living in freedom. Let me explain to you what I mean. There's some statistics that I want to share with you this morning, not necessarily spiritually, just about our culture and our society. We'll make some connections to the church in just a moment, but, but it's, it's hard to live in freedom. Here's some statistics for you. 
of people who enter college as a freshman, by the time the first year is over, they will have removed themselves from college. Most experts argue it is because they are scandalized by their freedom. Uh, They don't have to go to school anymore if they don't want to go to school. If they don't want to turn in the assignment, they don't have to turn in the assignment. They don't have moms or dads telling when to go to bed and when to wake up. Like they just have all of this freedom and it scandalizes them and 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 it puts them in a situation where they're not yet ready for all of that freedom. And 25%, one out of four, people entering the college system by the time the first year is over will drop out. Now, I don't mean if you're going to school. I don't mean to ruin your day, okay? Uh, But that's the statistics. Uh, And and for the year two, by the second year, 32% of of college-age students will remove themselves. Now, again, I'm not trying to make you have a bad day. And if you're going into college, I'm not trying to scare you. Uh, Moms and dads, I'm really not trying to scare you. But I want you to understand, sometimes we don't really know how to live in our freedom. There's another statistic I want you to be aware of. Uh, The recidivism rate in the United States, and if you don't know what recidivism means, it means the, the rate at which somebody is released from prison and they end up back in prison within 12 months is 44%. Now, we could ask, and it's an interesting question, to say, why is that? Is there no rehabilitation? Are they going back to the same influences that they had? Do they not have opportunities to grow and to better themselves? All of those are interesting questions, but the fact is 44% of people who were released into freedom in 12 months will end up back incarcerated. Now, you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Zach, guess what? I'm not going to college and I'm not in prison. (laughs) So I'm good to go. I want to ask you this morning to consider this thought. The entirety of the book of Galatians is written to a church that didn't really understand how to live in their freedom. So it isn't just college students that struggle with living in freedom. And it just isn't just the people who are released from the prison system who really need to pay attention how to live in freedom. It is the church as well. I want to share with you this morning in Galatians chapter 5. Paul is writing to a church that had been freed in Christ. They had experienced all of those things that we talked about the cross doing and releasing people and and bringing them spiritual freedom. But they had begun to listen to a teaching, a very specific teaching that said, listen, Jesus is great and all. Jesus is great and stuff. But in addition to receiving the freedom that Jesus gives to us, you also have to participate in Judaism. You have to be circumcised. You have to practice Torah observance. You have to do all of the things that they do in Judaism and Jesus, and then you're going to be free in Christ. That's what the church started believing. And so Paul wrote a very strong letter to the church at Galatia and addressed them about the the importance of knowing how to walk in freedom. So look with me in Galatians chapter 5. If you would this morning, we're going to read verse 1 
We're actually going to skip a couple of these verses. We're going to pick back up in in verses 13, 14, and 15. And I just want you to to catch a flavor of what Paul is saying to this church as, as they are no longer walking appropriately in freedom. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 5 and says to the church, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now verses 2 through 12, Paul walks through all of these different requirements that people were trying to make of this church. And he begins to address each one of them. Now probably these aren't the struggles that you're having. So we're going to drop to verse 13. I want you to see what Paul says to the church in verse 13. He said, for you were called to be To freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so this morning you have in your notes, and you saw the title of this message is The Paradox of freedom. And what is the paradox this morning? I, I want you to notice what Paul is doing because that articulates our paradox. The paradox is that the scripture prescribes how we're to live in freedom. The scripture prescribes how we are to live in freedom. I remember the first time as a young kid I felt free. I felt like I had freedom. Uh, one day, my mom and dad brought me in the living room, and they sat me down, and they said, uh, Zach, I need to tell you something. Tomorrow, when you wake up, we're not going to be here. We have to go to the city and take care of some matters, and you're going to be here by yourself for the day. You guys. It barely came out of their mouth. And I had all of these thoughts racing through my head. My heartbeat was going fast. And I was like, it is going down tomorrow. I am free. And so they were telling me about, you know, with great, with great freedom comes great responsibility. Yes, mama. Yes, yes, daddy. Yes, I know. You can trust me. You can trust me. And I'm thinking about all these things that I'm going to do with my freedom. I could barely go to sleep, you guys. I was so excited about the next day. The next day I wake up and I'm real quiet. I'm trying to listen if anybody's in the house. It was silent. So I get out of bed and I'm thinking to myself, yes, freedom. I go to walk into the restroom, and there in my bedroom door, in the door frame, there was a little index card that was like with tape stuck to it. It said, brush your teeth. I think, wait a second. I'm in charge here. Like, this is my day of freedom. I'm not going to start it out with getting demand letters on my doorpost, right? But I was like, well, that is a good idea. I probably should brush my teeth. So I brush my teeth. I go into the kitchen, and there's where we ate. We had our table inside of our kitchen. And, and so I look down, and there's a letter to me. Dear baby, that's what my mom calls me. She still calls me. I'm 42 years old. She still calls me baby. Dear baby, uh, remember to be responsible, and here's a couple of things that you need to take care of. 
take out the trash. Like, this is not freedom. She's like, take the Tupperware with the blue lid out of the freezer and put it in some warm water so you'll have something to eat for life. And all of these boring things were written on this piece of paper. And I began thinking, wait a second, I'm supposed to be free. This is the most restrictive freedom I've ever experienced in my whole life. I was like eight. I had not experienced hardly anything at that point. But you understand what I'm saying. So as I look at what Paul says to the church about living in freedom and the fact that Scripture prescribes for us, how we are to live into freedom, it begs the question. If you're making notes this morning, this is the question. Uh, the question is, are these, pres- are these prescriptions, are they restrictive? Are they protective? Here's the reality. When I did what the list said to do at my house that was on the table, I had a great day. But it still felt like in my freedom, somebody was telling me what to do. You may feel that way. You may have a sense this morning and go, wait a second, I'm free. And then I have this entire book that's telling me how my life is to be, what my values are to be, or how I'm supposed to see the world, or what I'm supposed to love and value, or run to, or run from. Like, if I'm really free, why do I have all of these lists of things that are seeking to shape who I am? That's a beautiful question. And here's what I want to do this morning as we look at these obligations that Paul set, not just to the church at Galatia, but for us as well. I want to tell you this. The word of God is protective. It isn't the heart of God to restrict or to limit you any more than necessary so that you can enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ. And that's important for us to understand. And we're going to look at the obligations in just a second because the question is, so if there is a prescription on how we're supposed to live in freedom, what is it? What does it look like? What's, what's the three-point list, Pastor Zach, this morning? We're going to answer that because we're going to give you this morning three big general points that all of our life can, can be reflective of on how it is that we live in our freedom. Uh, you see that we call them obligations. They're called obligations because it certainly is the power and the mercy of Jesus to bring us our freedom, but what you'll discover from what Paul said to the church uh, at Galatia, it certainly is our obligation to continue that. So obligation one is to stand firm. Would you make that note this morning? Stand firm. This is in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Paul says to the church, it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not allow yourself to submit again to a yoke of slavery. Can you just hear me this morning when I say this to you? That there's a wasp that's flying around me right now. (laughs) That thing has been terrorizing me for two hours. Thank you, Lord. I love the Lord so much. He's so good to us, isn't he? I don't even know where I was. 
All right, number one, stand firm. Let nothing distract you from the things of God. So here's what I want for us to think about this morning. We get freed in the Lord, right? We, we get saved or we converted or we give our life to Christ. We have this fire inside of us. And we're very excited about it. And for a month or two months or six months, we're just on fire for the Lord. And, and I think it's a very dangerous thing to see a person who was on fire for the Lord start to fade. I don't believe that it is the will of God for a person to come to faith and be on fire for the Lord and over the long haul, that to be a slow fade. I think that the longer that you walk with Jesus, the stronger your faith should be. I don't think that it starts high and burns out. I think that it should start and continue. The fire should get hotter and hotter and more excited for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happens sometimes is that we forget that in our freedom, we are obligated to stand firm. And here's what happens. Sometimes it's temptation. Sometimes the sin that tempts you, right? You yield to that sin. Sometimes it's the old self or the past self that still needs the sanctification, right? It's, it's the characteristics that, that you want the Lord to change in your life. Maybe it's the, the bad temper or, or maybe whatever it is, right? Sometimes those things, if we don't stand firm in our freedom, they walk us. They walk us out of that freedom that the Lord has purchased for us. And we find ourselves fading back into the one that we used to be. And what Paul is saying, not is that they've lost their salvation. What Paul is saying to them is, listen, the Lord Jesus has liberated you. Live in that liberation and don't let anything take you back hostage. And Paul says, stand firm. How do you do that? What a practical question. How do you stand firm? Uh, That's an interesting question to ask. And I guess if we were talking about sports, it's easy to understand, right? If we're thinking about football and we're thinking about the linemen and and we say, how does a lineman stand firm? We can understand that a little bit better, right? Because we know the lineman's going to get down in the stance or however. I've never been a lineman, so I don't exactly know how it goes. But they do something like this. And they have all their pads on in the helmet and they're waiting for the ball to be snapped because when that ball is snapped, their elbows in and they're going for whoever's in front of them. They're going for it right there, standing firm. But how does that look in the spiritual life? How, How do you stand firm in the spiritual life? We can understand it in sports, but when we just read right over that, like stand firm. How do you do that? I'll tell you, you could spend a lot of time studying this, and I hope that you do. But I want to give you two thoughts this morning before we move on to the second obligation on how do we stand firm. First, with the power of God. The same power that frees us is the same power that we need to rely on If we're going to stand firm, I want to encourage you with this this morning. If you are free in Christ, the Lord has given you the power 
to stand firm. You have the tools that you need. If you're a note taker, would you write down this morning 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Paul is writing to one of his young disciples, and he's trying to explain to his young disciple what it means to live the Christian life. And he makes this interesting point. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but instead God gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That's a great promise for us. I want you to know this morning as you're thinking about standing firm and as you're listening to this text and you're thinking about your own life and you're asking yourself, am I standing firm? Am I standing firm at my job? Am I standing firm at my school? Am I standing firm with my friends on the weekend? Am I standing firm in my relationships? Am I standing firm in my faith? As you're thinking through these things, I just want you to take a deep breath of confidence and know that it is God himself that equips you to stand firm with the power of God. And secondly, we need the power of God and we need the wisdom of God. We need God's wisdom to see where we are at and where we are vulnerable to falling, to temptation, to sin. This is an interesting thing. We're all in the image of God, but we're all so different. Like anybody in this room could stand up and you and I have some things that are common. We're human beings. We're both in the same geographical location. Like there's a lot of commonalities, but there's so many differences. You want to know one of the things that are different of you and I? We probably are tempted different. The things that tempt you to sin are probably different than the things that tempt me to sin. And can I just tell you this as self-disclosure? I need the wisdom of God to see that in my life so that I can stand firm. We We need the wisdom of God to stand firm. So this morning as we think about, all right, if I'm going to live in my freedom, and and if the question is, how am I doing at living free in Christ? The first check-in point is this obligation to stand firm. Am I standing firm in my faith? The second obligation is the obligation to self-discipline or self-control, however you want to write it. But Paul says here in the scriptures that we're looking at this morning is that as it relates to freedom, as it relates to being free, living free, living in your freedom, make sure that you don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. There's another passage in scripture that says, make sure that you don't use your freedom to indulge in evil or wickedness. Look with me, if you would, in verse 13. Paul says to the church, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, there's a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 that says, live as free people, but do not allow your freedom to cover up wickedness. Now, know this morning that you have your Bible open or you have it on your phone or your tablet. We're, look, we're looking at words on a page. And you're looking at this command. Do not let 
freedom be a cover-up for wickedness or evil? And you're thinking, what does that look like? Here's what that looks like in today's world. And I say this out loud so that you can kind of grasp the way this plays out in everyday life. It's one thing to see it on the page. It's another thing to recognize it in real life. So you may recognize this in your own life. Uh, I want you to think about the person who would say, I've been saved. I believe in God. Therefore, because I'm going to heaven one day when I die, I can do whatever I want now because all of my sins are forgiven. The sins that I committed in the past, the sin I might commit today, the sin that I might commit tomorrow, I'm in Christ, man. The blood has covered my sin, so I am free to do whatever it is that I want to do. Now, that's an interesting position that I want to pause and I want to, I want to evaluate for a moment. Is it true that the blood of Christ covers all sin? Absolutely. Past? Yes. Today? Absolutely. Future? You got it. But the heart that says, I'm going to keep sinning, Because I'm forgiven and going to heaven is a heart that doesn't understand the gospel. Because when you meet Jesus, the last thing you want to do is to grieve the Lord. Do not let your freedom be used as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not allow your freedom to be a cover-up for evil or wicked desires in your life. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Remember when I woke up and listened, and it was a quiet house, and I said, I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do today. And what a rude awakening that was. And then you think, well, I'm going to grow up one day, and when I grow up, I'll do whatever I want. That was the wrongest thing I've ever thought in my life. But we think, I will do what I want. If you take that thought and bring it into the kingdom of God, you have to understand that if you are living life thinking, I am going to heaven, and so I will sin as much as I want today, You, and I I do not say this facetiously, and no hyperbole, I mean this, you need to seriously think about whether or not you have really received the gospel. Because when you meet Jesus, you do not want to grieve the Lord. So how do I live in my freedom? I stand firm. I live with self-discipline, with self-control. And how else? That final obligation, my life is to serve others. If you're making notes this morning, would you write down obligation three is to serve others. Now, before we discuss this one, I just want to check in with you. I want to ask you this morning, have you asked yourself yet, how am I living in my freedom? Am I standing firm? Am I living with self-discipline, with self-control? And finally, Paul says to the church, who's so struggling with how to live in their freedom, Paul says to them, listen, I'm going to break it down for you. I'm going to spell it out for you. Use your freedom to serve other people. We see that in Galatians 5, 
Start with me in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Here's the self-discipline. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I want for us to consider some amazing implications about what Paul says about you and I living in freedom. Here's what he says. My freedom, when I'm living in my freedom, the freedom that Jesus gave to me, you should be getting a blessing from the freedom that I have in Christ. Because my freedom points me towards serving other people. You remember how I woke up that day? I'm going to do whatever I want. The Lord says, no. In, in the kingdom of God, you are free in Christ. But when we wake up, we say, listen, I am in Christ. I am confident. I'm a loved child of God. How can I go out into the world and bless the world? Paul says, in love, serve others. Interesting implication, isn't it? That my freedom should be a blessing to you. And your freedom should be a blessing to me. As we live as free people in the kingdom of God, what are we free to do? We are free to love and serve one another. That's a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God. Now, you may say, well, when I was growing up, I had a bad experience with the church. Please hear me. I say this every week. We are not perfect. I know that we get that wrong. I know that that third obligation, we don't express that correctly sometimes. In fact, sometimes it's quite damaged and quite deformed as it expresses itself in the local body of Christ. But I want you to see what the ideal is So that as you are hungry to live out your faith in everyday life, you see where it is that we're trying to get to. In your freedom, don't look for what you can get. Look for what you can give. How can I bless others in my freedom? The second insight or implication that we have here is that My serving of others is to be done with a pure motive, specifically the motive of love. And you see that written right. Through love, serve one another. I think that's important for us to talk about. Because sometimes in the Christian faith, isn't it true that that we do something because we think we have to or because we ought to, not necessarily because we want to out of love? In fact, if you're a note-taker, I want you to write down, there are three reasons that anybody does anything. Now, this isn't just spiritual, all right? This translates into every area of your life. There are three reasons that we do anything. Because we have to, because we ought to, and because we want to. Any action you've ever taken in your life can land in one of those three motives. Any action that you're going to take in your life can be landed in one of those three motives. Am I doing what I'm doing because I have to? somebody making me do it? Am I doing what I'm doing because I ought to? If I don't do it, I'm going to feel bad or somebody is going to make me feel guilty. Or am I doing it because I want to? What Paul says to the church, who is so struggling with how to live in their freedom, says, listen... 
First of all, you need to stand firm so that you don't get sucked back into that uh, life that you just, that the Lord just set you free from, right? Stand firm and then make sure that your freedom isn't being misused, but instead use your freedom with love to serve other people. That's what Paul says. So I will reiterate the comment that I made at the beginning of this message. I am thoroughly convinced that we as the body of Christ, we need to think long and hard about how we manage and live in our freedom. Because if we come to faith in Jesus and he reconciles us and he satisfies the wrath of God and he covers our sin and and he frees us from bondage. And then we enjoy that for a week and then we end up going back. I don't think that's what the world needs to see and I don't think that's what you need in your life. And so how we live in our freedom, I believe, and I think the book of Galatians demonstrates, is of utmost importance. So this morning, I want to close by releasing a question uh, into your mind and heart, which is, how am I living in my freedom? Would you bow with me this morning as we close our time together? Would you take this moment in this space to talk to the Lord for just a moment? I know I've said a lot of words this morning. And I kind of want to step back from speaking and just asking you to sit with God. Lord, how am I standing firm? You tell me. Lord, am I using my freedom to serve others? You tell me. I want to use this time for you not just to hear and understand the word of God, but for you to respond to it. Would you do that this morning? For the sake of your spiritual life, for the blessing of those around you, would you take a moment? And consider, how am I living in my freedom that I have in Jesus? Lord, I confess to you that oftentimes this area of life, this topic is kind of like an afterthought. For many of us in your kingdom, we so celebrate the cross and the empty tomb and the power and the glory of that. And so often we forget about the importance, Lord, of being responsible with what you've entrusted to us, which is freedom. 
So this, this morning, Lord, we truly are grateful to your spirit for bringing that into focus for us and allowing us a moment in this week to pause and to think about how we are doing at living in the freedom that you have given us. We are so grateful, Lord, this morning that you have brought your bride, your church together once again. That we have celebrated your nearness and we have opened your word and we have considered your ways. And now, O oh Lord, in a moment as we stand and we are dismissed, we are dismissed to follow you and follow you well. Bless us, Lord, as we do that, we pray in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, the one who frees us. In his name we pray, amen. Amen, amen.